This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's 2023, a new year and a chance for you lot to try something new. And if getting closer to nature and connecting with the natural world is on your list, then there's something I think you'll need. A pair of binoculars are essential for any nature nerd's day out to make sure you don't miss anything. And Leica's range of kit is, insert chef's kiss right here. Not only are they durable, lightweight, with a great range of optics, and come with a potential finance plan, but they are dead easy to use. To read more about what Leica have to offer for sport optics, visit their website, which is linked in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife conservation and nature. It's 2023 and my name is Ryan Dalton, I'm still your host. Hello nature nerds, welcome to a brand new year, I hope you had a lovely one. I'm going to say, instead of Happy New Year, I'm going to say uh, something that Amy Jane Beer, uh, naturalist and conservationist, used in an email to me in the new year, which was Happy Orbit. I loved that. I thought that was wholesome and lovely. So happy orbits to you all. I hope you all did have a lovely festive period, a little bit of a break. Um, uh, I had a lovely one. I drank too much. I ate too much. I loved it. <laughs> Just absolutely my time to shine. Uh, but welcome back. We are ready to kick off the new year and the next couple of months with lots of nature. T- uh, oh God, I can't. I've, I've not even been drinking today. I've actually stopped now. Um, lots of nature chat to bring your way, starting with an absolute banger of an episode. Today, we are talking about moths, as we should be all the time. I adore moths. I love them. I just love everything about the diversity, the weird and wacky world of them. I love it. So I was really looking forward to this episode, and I was really looking forward to kicking off the year, fighting it for for moth, marvellous moths. To join me on this show, uh, to share their knowledge, their insight, and entice you into the world of moths is James Lowen, naturalist and author of a couple of books, including The Moth Guide, which we came up with a new title for, and a lovely second book called Much To Do About Moffin. James, uh, his knowledge with moths is he will be modest and say not expertise, but I would deny that. Um, It was lovely to get the chance to listen to James talk about an animal that he clearly absolutely loves and to hear about these wonderful different species um, of moths that we have around the UK and also touch on points about how moths are doing um, in this country, what conservation work is being done and just generally why we should love them and this whole social attitude of hating on moths needs to quite frankly get in the bin. So once again, a happy orbit to you all. Amy Jane Bear, I'm so sorry that I've stolen this off of you, but I'm using it. I will credit you all the time (laughs) to anyone. I will. So a happy orbit to you all. This is the first episode of Into the Wild coming into 2023. This is Moths with the wonderful James Lowen. James, welcome to Into the Wild, the first podcast of 2023, which is an honour, I can imagine, you're feeling as much as I am. I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about moths. Yes, absolutely. And happy new year to you and all the listeners. Happy new year. Um, did you have a lovely festive break? We have to ask that. Um, yes and no. There were some nice bits, but oh. there's also some unpleasant bits, but we'll draw a veil over those. We'll draw away from that and focus on the positive bits. Well, welcome to Into the World. Welcome to 2023. Um, should we start at the obvious point that we start at every, every, every episode? Do you want to start by telling us who you are and what you do? I guess that would help. So my name is James Lowen uh, and I'm a naturalist, uh, but also a writer. 
Uh, and I sort of focus on the nexus between wildlife, conservation and travel. Uh, and my two latest books have both been about moths. Yes. One called What You Do About Mothing and the other one a field guide for people just starting to get into these wonderful, wonderful creatures. That's called British The moths. second title isn't as, uh, isn't as vibey as much to do about moffing. <laughs> it's fair, it's fair. But then field, field guides tend to have a fairly boring title, even if the content is fascinating. Come on. We, do, we need to, yeah, but let's change that. Field guides need to up their game. That'd be great. <laughs> By the end of this episode, let's come up with a new name for a moth field guide book. Crikey, you're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? I thought, I thought, <laughs> We've got I thought one hour my, to do this. <laughs> my creativity is used up with much ado about mothing. I mean, yeah, that's true. Actually, you've already done the work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me done for life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get on to moths, um, let's talk about. So you're a nature person, you're a naturalist, writer, and, and nature, I would imagine, takes up a lot of your time as much uh, in as a very possible. positive way, as much as possible, of course. So what has been your biggest nature highlight over the festive period or in the last seven days? I took a trip up to East Lothian, just east of Edinburgh, uh, to do some research for another book. And there I was lucky enough uh, to bump into a pod, not literally, of course, but a pod of bottlenose dolphins. Wow. Uh, and they were, they were great. They were breaching and there was a calf in there and they were, it was absolutely fabulous. And I realised I actually hadn't seen bottlenose dolphin that well in the UK before. So that, that was absolutely wonderful. Definitely. Oh, a that's lovely. What a lovely nature moment. <laughs> I would love to see dolphins in the wild uh, in the, around our waters. I think I've seen them um, elsewhere, but yeah, I have. But I've not seen them around the UK waters. Oh, I bet that was lush. Yeah, it was fabulous, fabulous. Nice. And it was bloody cold though, so you know that cheered me. I mean, me you up. were north of Edinburgh. <laughs> But that's nice, isn't it? Winter being cold. That's what we want. That is indeed what we want. None of this kind of record temperatures in Europe <laughs> <No>. stuff. <laughs> when it was Climate snowing in London the, and people were saying, oh, it's cold. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Shut up. <laughs> it's winter. Yes, yes it's, it's cold. It should be cold. More Don't complain about it. East. Sorry, Darren, I shouldn't have hit you, but you were talking incorrectly <laughs> complaining incorrectly um right let's move on to moths right so today we're talking about moths we've done an episode about butterflies before where we briefly intermediately spoke about moths but butterflies were the main focus as they quite often are indeed Indeed. But we're going to talk about moths today. Now, whenever we do an episode about a specific animal, I always ask my guests this what is it about moths, James, that you love? Well, I guess a confession. Um, I, I came to moths pretty late. I used to be pretty prejudiced against them. I thought they were all dull, boring, brown. The only time I came across yeah. them was when they ate my suits. But then it was an encounter <laughs> with one particular... I actually had a real job at one point, hence the suits. Um, uh, then an encounter with a, a moth called a poplar hawk moth. Um, it changed oh, my yeah. life. It made my, the scales fall from my eyes and... Uh, made me see nature in a different light. So, so, so there's that encounter, that that kind of coup de foudre, whatever you call it, the kind of mm. love at first sight, which which definitely happened. Uh, and then the more I learned about moths, the more I realised that there was a sort of a whole world of discovery out there, mm. uh, and that they're quite remarkable in so many ways. Um, I mean, diversity for a start, the absolute numbers involved. There's two and a half thousand species of moth in Britain. That's 40, two and a half thousand. 40 times more than we have butterflies. And that, that in itself just means that there's never-ending interest. There's no, there's mm. no end to the, the, the kind of journeys of exploration you can have, even in your own garden. You can, you can never complete yeah. moths like you might be able to complete butterflies. 
And the next thing I realised was that they're not all brown. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a silly they're thing. They're really, really not. Yeah, a bit of a silly thing, really. But they're, they're surprisingly colourful. Many are glitzier than butterflies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the one called the elephant hawk moth that is bright pink, so it's perfect for six-year-old yes. girls, such as my daughter was at the time I wrote that book. Um, there's a wonderful creature called the peach blossom, which looks a bit like Laura Ashley wallpaper. When you try getting that on, <laughs> try getting that on a butterfly. Um, and then there's this kind of, they've got this huge variety of sizes and shapes. So the wingspan sort of range from two millimetres specks of dust right up to 100 millimetres, 10 centimetres long wingspan of a convolvulus hawk moth or something like that. Uh, and so there's, there's so much visual interest in moths that they're, they're very exciting. But then ecologically, they've got all these amazing strategies for surviving and for thriving in life. Um, you know, we think of moths as creatures of the night, but there's around, I don't know, 250 species of moth that fly by day. We've only got 60 odd butterflies, so there's four times as many moths pretending to be butterflies, if you want to draw a distinction, <laughs> than there are butterflies themselves. Um, That's amazing. It's just wonderful. There's just so much going on. I love it when there's like one species or like one specific species that's kind of opened up and you, you open up that door in nature and you're like, holy sh**. Like, how did I not even, which happens to me almost on a daily basis. <laughs> if I see a video of an animal on Twitter, I'm like, the natural world blows my mind yeah, once repeatedly, again. Repeatedly. <laughs> repeatedly. Mine was the, like, because I always, I loved butterflies. I didn't dislike moths, but I think similar to most you did. people, I, I would can say. tell you dislike moths. There's that hesitance in your voice saying, oh, I was really anti-moth. I was really anti-moth. No, I don't think I was. I've even got carpet moths now that we just keep under control, and they still don't annoy me. I don't think I was annoyed, but I just don't think I gave them that time of day. Yeah. But until, and I think the listeners would have heard me references on a show before, I think it was like two and a half, maybe three years ago, uh, lime hawk moth fell on me <sighs> on my front door. They do in London. They love London. They're, they're real they're townies, everywhere. these moths, because they, 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 <laughs> the, the, the caterpillars love the lime trees, um, and mm. lime trees are often planted in London streets. Yeah. So, so the only moth that's ever graced the patio of my sister's former flat in um, Hampstead, you know, posh part of London, is a lime nice. hawk moth. And it's See, like I was in Archway, not far from Hampstead. There we are. There we are. It was the same one. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and then Jersey Tiger moths all around oh, Hampstead Heath. Oh, all yeah. around Hampstead Heath. They, they love the ivy. They're all over the place. They are indeed. Black, white and red. Absolutely oh, They're so nice. They're so, so... As soon as they start flying, it's like a, yeah. it's like lighting a match. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it just it's goes just, up. It's just like... They're, they're winged fire, they are. They're gorgeous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was the species that I kind of went, hello, this lime-coloured, like, beautiful shape in the wing... Um, and quite large as well. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is incredible. What is and I didn't even know it was a moth at first. And then when you kind of look up closely, you see the fluffiness of it and, and the dust coming out. And I was like, oh my God. And I was with my girlfriend who loves moths and or all lepidoptera. And she was like, oh, she was like, that's a lime hawk. And I was like, this is amazing. And then we just started opening the door to that. So that was my uh, gateway moth. Well, kudos um, to her for knowing what it was and, and confirming your, your kind of love, <laughs> love of moths. That's good. It's good. See, so, so you say gateway moth, you know, a bit like a gateway drug. Well, actually, and you called the my other book uh, a boring title, British Moths, but its mm. subtitle is a gateway guide. Exactly, oh. because it's the gateway gateway it to is. more moths. The there you go, drug. gateway moffin. Yeah, there we are. So there's, there's, our we are. there's our new title. <laughs> there's our new field guide. <laughs> 
Um, so you mentioned briefly we had, was it 2,500 species we've got yeah, in the UK? Yeah, quite a lot. More than That's insane. So we said about the differences. Obviously, we always know there's size and there's like colour and shape and stuff like that. But how big is that diversity across that 2,500? So from the smallest to the biggest, what are we talking? Yeah, I mean, size-wise, for wings of two millimetres up to 100 millimetres. But I mean, size is just one dimension of the difference. You know, yeah. di- different life strategies. So like butterflies, most of these moths spend the colder months, the winter, as eggs or perhaps as caterpillars. But mm. quite a few hibernate. Um, so mm. herald moth. Is a, it's a wonderful fiery scabbard of a moth that tends to, <laughs> tends to live in caves and dark places like sheds. Uh, but you've also got moths that um, are cunning and, that, and they actually fly as adults during the winter months, you know, in a way that butterflies never would unless they, they got caught out by the sun one kind of overly warm January day. Yeah. So, but so, so some of the strategies of these moths to, to survive in winter, um, you know, one, some have got antifreeze in their blood. So they, they, they oh, don't, they right. kind of don't. But there's a wonderful story um, by from a Scottish mother who found one of these moths, a pale brindled beauty. Uh, great names, great names, moths as well. Pale brindled beauty. He found it in um, a, a sort of uh, a, a dish that had filled with water and then frozen. Uh, and the moth was completely encased in ice. It was frozen solid, but he, he defrosted it. He thawed it out, and come dusk, it flew off. Just like this moth can survive being frozen. Move over Han Solo. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's a very nice, like almost like a speckled kind of coloration to it, if I'm looking at the right one. You're looking it up. Quick, quick look at quick. I am. There's going to be a lot of that on this episode. Every time you mention one, I'm going to do my best to quickly Google it because I love love the visuals. Um, Yeah, it's, it's almost like a. Not quite a speckled wood, but a butterfly. Yeah, wood, do you know what I mean? That sort kind of, of that of white that, and black. That, that kind, that kind of, kind of brindled even. And, and then there's there's um, uh, food preferences. Another way that, mm. that moths differ. So some uh, have mouth parts like a butterfly, so they can feed on nectar. But some only feed as caterpillars and don't have any mouth parts at all. Once they turn up to where the adult, you know, once they grow up. So they can't eat anything even Wait, if they it, try. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they don't eat as an adult? So what, does, is They've that got the short so lifespan? They've got so fat as a caterpillar that <laughs> they have no need to eat as a moth. They live for the moth. next 35 years. That's right. <laughs> so what, how long do they live as an adult, these uh, ones? It depends. I mean, anything from a week to a month, usually. Um, I don't think anyone's done full studies on them, except in captivity, where it's all a bit of a, bit of a lottery. All anyway. over the place, yeah. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, you know, you're... You, you, you're best disguised uh, when you're a caterpillar because you can hide away. Uh, and the only point of having wings is to go and find someone to um, um, have descendants with, <laughs> to go and mate somewhere. So, you know. It's the most Victorian way you could have said that. <laughs> that's right, indeed. Um, and so, you know, just, just, just focus on the essentials once you get to be adult, which is nookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair play, moths. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Fair play, moths. I wish I was a moth. Yeah, <laughs> but I like my food, James. I like my food. Um, that, that's amazing, though. So they, so, so okay. So when we, a lot of butterflies, uh, not all, but a lot will feed or like nectar. So a lot of things we're told in our gardens or our window boxes, green spaces, whatever, is to, you know, have butterfly friendly flowers, both for caterpillars and and for adults. What is best for moths? Well, I mean, given there's so many species, um, do a variety of things. So there's there's plenty mm. of uh, moths 
that you can help in your garden. If you plant sweet William, you'll have a moth called the varied coronet that's sort of oh, the varied ex- coronet. expanded its range remarkably since the 1980s, precisely because it's found gardens. Great. Uh, the privet hawk moth, as its name suggests, quite likes privet hedges. So we've got a few of those knocking around. But there are also, you know, buddleia. Buddleia is lovely for butterflies, but it's great for moths at night. So go out to your buddleia plants that you've planted for your peacocks mm. and your red admirals, but go out after dark and you may find moths nectaring there. Yeah. So there's a, a whole host of things that you can do, even in, your, even in a small small patch of land that you call your own, or, or the, 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 uh, the mortgage companies, depending. <laughs> <laughs> or your landlord. Or your landlord, yeah, <laughs> indeed. If your landlord lets you grow stuff. I will say now the privet hawk moth is absolutely stunning. And a bit scary too, just a little bit. I see bit what you mean. Too. A bit a bit of a arrowhead of a, yeah, of a moth. It is, Very... but then it's got these wonderful kind of um pink I'm gonna it's, mm. it's it's abdomen, which is basically its main part of its body. And yeah. it flashes that, uh, and it flashes that to kind of scare people away because it's also kind of uh, all, all kind of well, not people but predators uh, uh, scare them away. But for me, it just looks like wow, that's really cool, that's really pretty. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. It was. It's almost like the, the the pink to me gives it more subtle and relaxing vibes. Obviously, I'm not a, yeah, no, a predator of a of a privet hawk moth, but it's they they are very they they look. I would describe them as sharp looking, although they're not. They've just got very pointy wings. Uh, again, listeners, this episode we're talking about an animal. If you want to Google it, make sure you pull over if you're in the car and don't walk into open traffic. Um, <laughs> but do look up the privet hawk moth because it's stunning. <laughs> Um, that's really nice. I liked what was the other one you uh, said? The the very coronet moth is um, little black again, and white thing. Little black and white, but beautiful. I think I've seen one of these around too. Yeah, you may well have done. They're they, 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 they like gardens. Have. They're gardens. Yeah. So, but some moths you might not have seen are the ones that are camouflaged. So you know, quite. <gasps> I know unlike... which one you're going to say. Do you? Because there's I quite think... a few. Go on, you must. Go on, you're too. hesitating now. You're you oh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe. Well, there's some moths that describe themselves as twigs. Yes. So that's pretty good. So the buff tip. That's a, what I was going to say. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Bingo. <laughs> it is the best animal I've ever seen in the wild. It is pretty damn good. There are better, yeah. but it's pretty are damn there? good. So, so and buff tip to explain to listeners without them looking up and while well, they're driving or whatever. Yeah. It's basically like a snapped twig. Uh, and it's got buff ends at both ends, if you like. So it just looks like a piece of twig. So it just lies on the it's ground. It's incredible. It's yeah, it's absolutely incredible when you see it. What's the others? I want to see the others. Yeah, there's others as well. So um, some look like leaves. So the scalloped hook tip or the angle shades both look like just just leaves, just dead leaves. Then if you flick through to the Merveille du Jour, if you speak a bit of French, the wonder of the day, it looks like lichen. So it can sit on a lichen-covered trunk and completely blend in. Oh, no, this one said it looks like there are no matches. Oh, no! Um, you need my so book. I do know. <laughs> I need the Gateway Muffin book. You do um, Gateway Muffin book. Once you see it, you'll go... It is. Oh, my... Oh, it exactly. looks like... It looks like mint-flavoured ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> or, lichen, or lichen. Or lichen. Uh, yeah. It's probably not trying to be camouflaged as ice cream. On it would it would be well camouflaged in Hagendaz's shop. But uh, Hagendaz, right. sorry, yeah, shop. Um, oh wow, that is stunning. But, but better than all these. And, and what? I, I know, I know. It's hard to believe. But better than all these are the bird poo moths. Yes, please. So these are moths such as the Chinese character. 
which describe themselves as a splash of great tit poo. Because oh there's no God. way a blue tit is going to come down and eat a splash of great tit poo. <laughs> James, fantastic. I just need to interrupt the podcast and just say I am loving this. <laughs> that is incredible look at that oh i love it absolutely love it that might have turned is that in a that did you say that's not a uk one no it is all these moths i'm talking about are uk that's in that's in your garden or would be if you ran a moth trap i'm gonna tweet about that today have you got any pictures i can use of that yeah i can send you that send some just so i i would love to share some of your that is beautiful oh my god so these are some of the most incredible animals we've ever spoken about i love moths i love moths um <laughs> there's the trailer for the show um so okay so the those differences are incredible then because just in those like four or five that you've mentioned the appearance could not be more different Absolutely. between each one of those and we've not even like you said size is just one yeah. one thing of that we're talking about colors shapes reasons for being that the camouflage and stuff the food the difference the summer out in the day and stuff so it's just that's i don't know i just can't put that into my brain that like 2500 and every single one so then perhaps i can blow your brain even more by telling Jesus, you about, we're gonna need a new host of the show so. <sighs> about the utterly bizarre moths so there's one moth called the sandhill rustic that can swim underwater as an adult what yeah and that enables it to live by the sea so when the sea tide comes in it can still survive I mean, what? That there are other moths called China Parks whose caterpillars grow entirely underwater, like dragonfly larvae. Your silence speaks volumes. I know. Oh, that's a beautiful moth, the China Mark. How the delicate does that look? Yeah. Well, China, you see, you don't want to break it. Absolutely. Just as anything. And the caterpillars go underwater? Yeah, caterpillars live, grow underwater. It's just nuts. There are moths that sing... They no, scarce Come silver on. lines. Scarce silver lines. Lovely green moth sings from the top of oak trees to call for mates. We so can't hear it, of course, but other moths can. How do we know? Because there's clever people out there, not you and me. <laughs> I mean, I might be doing you a disservice, but there's clever people who know all this stuff. <laughs> that is, that is one of the biggest burns I've had on the show, and also <laughs> that's what I say whenever someone says, <laughs> "How do we know?" I'm like, I don't know. This clever people out there like no one's making that up if anyone ever on this planet ever went i'm really bored i'm just going to start telling people there's a moth that sings then those people are just as genius as figuring out that moths do actually sing yeah absolutely absolutely right but i mean moths have been studied for centuries so back in the 18th century Mm. uh, moths and butterflies were considered the same by the the kind of the collectors of the time, the scientists of the time. And yeah. because they didn't have these newfangled lights that we use to attract moths nowadays, um, they used to go around looking for caterpillars and then they used to breathe the caterpillars through in their, whatever the equivalent of an aviary is for moths, a mothery. Mothery. <laughs> a mothery. Uh, and they used to find out loads of stuff about them. I guess they didn't discover the singing moth or the underwater swimming moth, but they might have found out that the caterpillars of the china marks live underwater. Imagine though, wouldn't you love to go back and tell them, lads, you haven't even scratched the surface? (laughs) That's right. You wait, you wait, you wait till you find out that a tiger moth is clever enough to jam the sonar of a bat that's trying to eat it. (laughs) And they're like, wait a minute, what bats have sonar? You're like, okay, yeah, come back, come back. (laughs) I've got one more thing to tell. And then there's a lot more about climate change and everything. I need to start filling you in, guys. (laughs) I've only got half an hour back in time. Um, I remember... (laughs) 
<laughs> I remember something uh, you, well, something you just said there, and I'm pretty sure we spoke about this on the butterfly uh, one, which, am I right in saying biologically there is no difference between a butterfly and a moth? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, I mean, this division we draw between butterflies and moths is really artificial. So um, just as herons and robins are both birds... Mm. So uh, a hawk moth and a swallowtail butterfly are both Lepidoptera. It's exactly, right. exactly the same thing. Right. Uh, and indeed, there are the five or six families of butterflies evolutionarily, so in the evolutionary tree, sort of nestle within the moths. They've got moths on either side of them. So moths are sort of, you know, a subset of butterflies, if you like. Right. Certainly not a distinct thing. And, and weirdly, weirdly, I don't, I don't really understand why, English is the only language I've come across that, that differentiates linguistically between moths and butterflies. So in French, in German, in Dutch, you've basically got butterflies and you've got night butterflies. So vlinder in, in Dutch and nachtvlinder, night butterflies. So, you know, butterflies, moths, they're the same thing. Skipper butterflies, they're probably more closely related to moths than they are to other butterflies. I thought that would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought, I think I thought they were. <laughs> I've seen skippers and I'm like, I've just, I think I've always just assumed they're a moth. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. They look like but, moths and they fly like moths. But, you yeah. know, so the question is what is a moth and what is a butterfly? Call them all the same thing and stop kind of slagging off moths and loving butterflies because it's irrational. There's no reason for that. There's not. There's not. You just, no, you're right. You, you're, you're right. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I've persuaded him. <laughs> Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much, and back onto the show. So, this is the big question, the halfway point. What is your favourite moth? No, don't ask me that. That's I've too got difficult. to, J- uh, James. If I don't ask you this question, I've done a disservice to every other person that's come on in to speak about an animal or a okay. group of animals. <laughs> so it's a really tough choice. Like I had to go through every two and a half thousand in my brain very quickly to work. You were like, can I pick a favourite kid instead? <laughs> Yeah, my daughter might work. Well, my daughter's favourite moth is the elephant hawk moth, which is bright yes. pink. Also um, my favourite caterpillar. Uh, yes, very good indeed. Looks like a snake. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, it's also the moth that got Simon Barnes, sort of the god of nature writing, uh, modern nature writing, into moths. He called it a bird of paradise. So, you know, that's quite that's a good a really good way. But I reckon, I reckon my favourite is probably a tiny little thing that doesn't even have an English name called Alabonia jeffrella. So don't bother looking that up. Oh, why not? Because, well, okay, you could look it up, but I have to spell it and we'd be here hours. <laughs> I really want to see it, though, if it's your favourite. Well, I mean, because it's got this scientific name, uh, A-L-A-B-O-N-I-A, if you do do that, that'll come up with it. But the second part is Jeffrella. Mothers yes. tend to call it Jeff. So its nickname <gasps> is Jeff. 
and it is a tiny moth. It's no longer than your little fingernail, um, yeah. but it's a multicolored glitter ball. Um, yeah. And the males kind of come together and they dance in this kind of wacky aerial disco to try and impress the ladies. And it's got this nose, which is like like mm. a kind of sort of really, really snobby person's nose that kind of tilts up at an angle. <laughs> This is so accurate, your description. (laughs) It's uh, And it it was a moth that eluded me for about two or three years. I tried to find it everywhere, and suddenly I came across it, and it was like, oh, my God, it's Jeff! Jeff! And and I was so excited uh, at seeing Jeff that I I fell over into a bramble patch uh, and got quite, quite entangled. So I remember it quite well. Good (laughs) reason to fall into a bramble patch. (laughs) If if you needed a reason, Half a litre of whiskey. Yeah. Well, there might be that involved as well. That's the other. Well, that's the other You've thing cracked about... it open after yeah, you saw yeah. Jeff necked right. it and fallen in, and um, a bit of sparkling shampoo as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's stunning, and it, you're right. Do you know what? Even without you saying it was small, it looks small yeah. on the photo. Do you know what I mean? You can just tell, even with no nothing to reference, you can just see that. But that just is small remember, delicate. small is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Um, absolutely. I mean, I am six foot seven, so that's going going against my natural compass there. Um, <laughs> but that is that is beautiful. What a lovely, lovely moth. Have you got a photo of that one of yours as well? Yeah, I can send you that. Oh, drink. please do. You're just going to be my go-to moth photo guy. No, that, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> so let's talk about the benefits of moths. Um, so we, you know, like you said, butterflies are spoken about all the same. So I'd imagine the benefits of moths and butterflies are similar. Yes, uh, and. Uh, and no. Um, so like butterflies, moths are really important links in the food chain. They're prey for their bats and for birds. Uh, mm. And without you know, numerous moths, a lot more animals would be at risk of extinction. So butterfly conservation reckons that blue tits eat around 35 billion moth caterpillars every year. Oh, my God. So take those out of the equation and you haven't got quite as many blue tits knocking around. Yeah. Jesus. Um, you probably know that the cuckoo um, is a declining species yep. uh, and its decline mirrors that of its main prey, which is the caterpillars of the, the garden tiger moth. Um, wow. So as the garden tiger has you know, declined because of the way we're trashing the countryside, etc., mm. so the cuckoo's declined. So, so number one, <laughs> they're important because they get eaten. Because they get eaten, always. <laughs> insects, it's the way the world That's works. right, up the insects. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's increasing evidence that actually they perform a really important pollination function. Right. Uh, certainly in the wider countryside, so for wildflowers, etc., but possibly also for commercial crops. Mm. So some studies have shown that up to 40% of moths are flying around the countryside with some kind of pollen on their lands uh, on their on their bodies somewhere. So they're transporting yeah. pollen in the way that you know bees do during the day, moths are doing at night. Uh, so there's sort of an irony there. If it t- turns out that moths do help cultivation, then putting on pesticides, insecticides <laughs> into crops kills off the animals that are going to help you in you know, a few months' time. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a domino effect, isn't it? Like... <laughs> it's short-sighted, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's also these, these wacky ways in which we're starting to understand that moths can help us. So, for example, there's a, a new world moth called the fall armyworm. Fall as in... Topple or autumn, yep. I guess, um, uh, which has been used in creating one of the COVID vaccines. Whoa. It's a bit out there, isn't it? There's, there's two moths, the wax moth and the nye moth, that are used in manufacture of other vaccines. 
Moths help us understand the world. So the peppered moth is a, is a great example that's taught in schools, an example of natural selection. So they're sort of model organisms for scientific research. And the one I like, the one I like most is there's even a hint that moths could help us solve the world's plastic prob problem because the caterpillars of wax moths have been found to be able to digest plastic. Oh, so you, uh, could, you, could uh, you just, the really, wax moth. The wax moth. It would be called the plastic wax moth or something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would be called our, called our lifeline moth. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously... <laughs> the better ocean than, saver moth. Precisely. You know, forget microplastics. Just set the wax moths on it. Yeah, yeah. 25 years later, the world is inundated with wax moths. The sky is now dark. <laughs> But there are no plastics. Um, that's incredible. I, do, I love it when we talk about the benefits of species like that, because I, I hate asking that question, because I don't think we should rely on benefits to justify having an animal around. The animal exists in our ecosystem as long as it, you know, not as long as, but if that is a long-term natural animal in that ecosystem and landscape, then yeah. it shouldn't have to prove its benefit to be there. Yeah. We should want to have it there. However, we know the way the world works and we know the way social Indeed. Uh, social attitudes, so we have to talk about that. But I love it because it's just so many. And I think it's always lovely when it ties into our our disconnect from the natural world. When we're talking about helping farming crops or the plastics or COVID vaccines or, or, or another vaccines like that, it's so built into, you know, we are so disconnected and think we don't rely on wildlife. Indeed. Yet you've just mentioned three things, one of which was incredibly relevant in the last three years. And moths benefited that, so yeah. or benefited us with that. So I think yeah. that's lovely to have it so connected to the the social and economic and and kind of just our way of life. Um, before we go on to about how moths are doing conservation wise, let's talk about this perception of moths because we've already mentioned moths that eat suits. I've got moths that eat carpet, but we keep it under control. And you know, we know that's not the majority of the species. <laughs> There are not 2,500 species of moth out there eating our clothing and natural fibres. Thank God. I'd be naked if there were. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> clothing production? But, like, why is there that anti-moth, do you think, in, in the UK and probably beyond? So, um, Butterfly Conservation commissioned a survey three, three or four years ago about public attitudes to moths, and they, they found that two-thirds of people think negatively about moths. And... You know, in part, that's really depressing. But in part, for me, that was actually all right because it means a third think positively. Yeah. Well, hey, okay, that's a decent start. <laughs> that's good. Point. That's a good start, yeah. <laughs> and why is it? I mean, in part, it's because they're a creature of the night and we're a bit scared. Yeah. Of Imply, in part, it's because we, at night they're flying around. We can't predict them. We can't control them. Right. So they're fluttering around our faces. And then, yeah, there is a bit of a kind of nuisance value, I think, ascribed to moths, but disproportionately, as you say. So two and a half thousand species of moths uh, and just two of them basically eat our carpets and clothes. Perhaps four or five more, perhaps ten, might in some way affect our lives. You know, the box tree moth caterpillar that eats the box hedges of that favoured by some gardeners, the turnip moth caterpillar that might eat some crops in some field somewhere. Mm. 
But to me, it's it's entirely unfair to sort of tar all 2,500 species of moths with the same brush attached yeah. to the, that pair. It'd be like putting the whole school in detention <laughs> for the antics of just one naughty kid in one class. It, yeah. it, it just smacks of prejudice. It smacks of poor information. It smacks of, you know, a, a need to, to kind of to, to, to realise that there's, a, there's, there's something else going on. It's, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Do you think... We just spoke about the difference or the lack of difference really between butterflies and moths in regards to species or, or a group of animals. So if we just start calling them carpet butterflies, yeah, have we solved a problem or created a new one? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, as I said, the, the Dutch, the Germans, yeah. the French make that connection with butterflies and they don't seem to have quite the same problem we do in terms of attitudes. Yeah, we we love a, a Britain is a very black or white country, isn't it? Right or wrong, yeah. one side or the other. So it's very much like they're butterflies, they're moths. All right, yeah. <laughs> it's like well, you know, other countries have got by. Um, and also, if you think about it, the word butterfly sort of suggests nice things. Butter, <laughs> really like butter flying. That's pretty as well. A oh, moth, moth, moth. moth. It's very harsh. It's, you know, exactly, it's very harsh. So it's, it's a very Great Dane bark, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's a, it is a bit like that, you're right. <laughs> um, no, that's. I was thinking that as well. Butterfly is not... They're not fairly named in this country. That's not fair. Um, but then when you get into moth species, they've got lovely names. Oh, yeah. Privet hawk moth sounds so, like, spirally and like a dancer. Yes. And then you have does. lime hawk moth. Again, hawk is such a powerful animal. We, we, yeah, so that when we name them as species, we're very good. Um, okay, so let's talk about how moths are doing in the UK. Brace yourself, listeners. I can't imagine James is going to turn around and say, across the board, everything is grand. It's all Keep fine. up with what we're doing. Everything's perfect. I'll let you know if there's trouble. But I'd imagine maybe some species are maybe favouring due to things. But James, you tell me, how are moths doing? Well, I mean, it's a pretty mixed picture. We're lucky that butterfly conservation, which despite its name, does moths as well, and increasingly, increasingly moth-focused, which is wonderful. Mm. Um, you know, treat, treat them with parity. But they've put together um, around 25 million records uh, collated by wow. amateur uh, mothers, so people running traps in their garden or whatever, um, over the last, I don't know how many, how many decades. And they've worked out in the last 50 years alone, we We've lost around a third of all our moths. So there's a third fewer moths flying now Jesus. than pretty much when I was born. And that's that's a bit of a pisser, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Four times more species have populations that are decreasing, going down, than are increasing. So uh, in every five moths, um, six moths or so, you know, far more are, are kind of plummeting than are kind of burgeoning. Um Roughly one-fifth of all moths in Britain are, or larger moths at least, the biggies, uh, are in danger of national extinction or very nearly so. But there's sort of some mixed messages. So we've 50-odd species have gone extinct since 1900, but we've gained 137 Mm. new colonists. So things are changing. Species are colonising Britain, sometimes naturally because of climate change is nailing them to yeah. move further north. Uh, um, they're also colonising because of globalisation, so horticulture, 
brings in plants and inside the plants there are moths and they kind of you know caterpillars and they they emerge and they take over the world or at least over gardens in the case of box tree moth mm. um, there are species moving north through britain with climate change which is great for the ones that live in the south because they've got plenty of area to colonize but for those that live in northern scotland and those that live in the top of mountains they've got nowhere to go yeah. so you know they're, they're stuffed um, so it's a real mixed bag. It is. I mean, the, the wor- most worrying thing for me personally is it is not that the it's not the habitat specialists that are kind of plummeting towards extinction. Well, that's really where that's really worrying. But it's the generalists, the species that can live in yeah. your garden. When the species that can live in your garden are, are kind of nearing extinction, and the garden dart, the clues in the name, the garden dart has had its population um, dropped by ninety nine percent. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm never going to catch one in my garden. When those type of moths uh, are going extinct or nearing extinction, you know, something is badly wrong yeah. with what we're doing to the world. That's just, that's not just the canary dying. That's like most of the miners. And then, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then someone going, I think there's a problem. It's like, yeah, well, the canary told you that. Asian <laughs> <laughs> and all his mates. And all his mates. Yeah, remember when you were the only one left in the mine? <laughs> That was the that was the real worst case. Jesus, you're right. Yeah, like I think when the generalists start struggling, you're just like, well, this is. And is it is it the same? Because this is across the board. I feel feel like we're at that point of we know why with most species in the UK now. I would say near we know why with all species. You know, it is, you know, it is damaging chemicals onto land plants or waters it's you know lack of habitat it's just another climate change and all this thing in the mix of just things not being left i want to say naturally i'm always careful with word in here because i'm not suggesting that we should just leave areas and fence off people and stuff like that i don't believe that but what i'm saying is you know there's we need to go back to our culture ways of working with the land not working just on the land i guess is what i'm saying yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. It's, it, it is that same old story of um, conversion of wildlife-rich habitats with monocultures, whether they be yeah. pasture or arable or conifer, um, bri- um, concreting over places, sluicing the countryside in chemicals, um, enriching uh, um, uh, land with nutrients, um, whether released through farming or, or elsewhere, yeah. climate change. There's, there's a bit of an issue about light pollution at the moment. Jury sort yes, of, out of course. Those. So yeah. it seems that where um, there are um, lights at night, um, locally populations do suffer of moths. But uh, on a national level, there's no case yet proven because obviously, you know, okay, there's a lot of light in the sky, particularly in London, you know, places, yeah. urban centres. But a lot of the UK doesn't have that problem, isn't lit up at night, so it's not an issue. But there's a whole host of things going on. Yeah, it's a but. Are you com- so are you com- are you confident in things being done? What needs to change? Is it a case of all those things? on some level being reversed and restored? Um, Fundamentally, yes. Um, uh, Whether that's ever going to happen, I don't know, but it's not going to stop us fighting for it. Uh, And it's not going to stop organisations such as Butterfly Conservation putting Mm. a load of resource into Mm. um, species and habitat and site uh, protection, deliberately trying to create the best set of circumstances to save particular moths. Um, so there's a whole host of things going on. You know, it's not just butterfly conservation, of course. The RSPB is engaged in moth conservation. Wildlife trusts are engaged in moth conservation. 
And this is in a way that probably wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. So there are yeah. signs of change. We talk about um, people, you know, generally not liking moths. Uh, well, I think even in the time that I've been aware of moths, there's been a, a sea change in attitude. I see so many more naturalists, particularly bird watchers, people who are originally interested in birds, um, getting into moths and putting the same kind of energy and drive yeah, yeah. into those. Um, and the more people see of moths, the more they like them. It's great. Well, exactly. And I, I say again, listeners, all the species that we've spoken about on the show, when you have some time, Google them because they are absolutely weird, wonderful, stunning, beautiful. All those all those things merged into one animal. They really are. Um, before I let you go, I'm going to have to... Let's quickly talk about Much to Do About Moffin. Not only a great title. What can people expect from this book? So... Um... It's a travel narrative, so it's a, a book about of prose. There's some pictures in there as well. So of course, for, for Ryan. But, <laughs> but, it, but it's basically um, me championing the cause of moths. I felt that moths were the underdogs in the animal kingdom, as we've sort of hinted at before. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's partly due to me, you know, my own personal prejudice. That was, you know, I had personal experience of dissing moths as being crap. Um, uh, and they needed a champion. And so I, I spent I spent a whole calendar year um, going from Cornwall right up to the Cairngorms, hiking up mountains, wading through marshes, bivvying on heathlands, roaming uh, ancient woodlands at night um, at about 140 places around the UK, 27 wow. counties, 258 days worth of, of travelling. My wife hated me. Right? So, <laughs> and my daughter That's why you're doing the school pickups now. Well, yeah, exactly. I was doing pickups for life. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the, the the whole whole of that was to gather the stories about rare and remarkable moths and, and to sort of coax moths out from the, the cover of darkness, if you like, metaphorically into the yeah. light, and try and understand why, uh, in contrast to that that YouGov poll, so many environmentalists and ordinary folk love moths and kind of you know that the, the, why do they love what so much of the general public um, claims it hates. So I wanted to kind of show them as being remarkable, uh, accessible, because they're in your garden. Yeah. You know, in my garden last year, I recorded nearly 600 different types of moths. Oh, my 600. Lord. Uh, and I'm not an expert. <laughs> I, you know, I can't do the little ones. The little ones, the tiny ones, it's like, no idea what they are. But there's there's so much, and there's so many enchanting stories to tell, you know, feats of migration, mastery of camouflage we talked about earlier, outlandish mimicry. We haven't even mentioned that. There are there are um, clearwing moths that look like wasps and big clearwing moths yeah. called hornet moths that even buzz like hornets. I mean, there's, there's so the many mimic wacky, is unreal. wacky, wacky tales out there. So... Putting all that together and trying to show that um, moths are brilliant uh, and moths need our help uh, and moths are worth looking at. That's that's basically why I did the book. It sounds like a beautiful book and I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I, I really can't wait. I can't wait. Um, my last question very quickly for you, James, is if you could pass on one thing to anyone on the planet to help them connect or enjoy the natural world, what would you recommend them to do? Well, I guess it depends on whether you can, if you can leave home, um, so if, you, if you're mobile, a pair of binoculars will open up the world like nothing else. It will enable you to see things that were not possibly seeable and see them in such beauty and such detail that it will inspire you. If you can't leave home, you know, if you're, if you're not mobile, if for whatever reason you, uh, you can't leave home, if you can in some way get hold of a really cheap moth trap, 
simply a light and a sheet, you can bring the nature to you. And that's that's the joy of moths, is that you, know, you don't actually have to leave home with that uh, and, and you can still experience the wonder of nature in Britain. I love it. And your recommendation on binoculars is so apt on a podcast sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. <laughs> And I will remind all the listeners that if you do want to get a pair of binoculars, I cannot recommend enough a pair of Likers. That's brilliant. James, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today about a wonderful group of animals. And I can't wait to read your book. And um, I can't wait for to start going out again and looking for moths. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, but I wish you a lovely rest of your week, your first week of January. And um, yes, enjoy enjoy the school pickup yes i will do it'll be fabulous <laughs> thank you very much it's been great great fun talking to you thanks again for listening everyone if you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's into the wild episode then you can do so on social media their tags are in the write-up of this episode also you can follow us on social media at into the wild pod on twitter and into the wild podcast on instagram and if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Kofi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.